Acts chapter 16. We're going to start at verse number 6. I want to say that there are four things that Scripture mandates for us to do when we gather. Preach the Word. Pray. Sing. And the fourth one I'll tell you later when I remember it. Read the Word. There it is. Read, sing, pray, preach. We have to be careful when we gather together that we when we say that worship is to be done a certain way, that we don't take the good things and the wise things and make them mandates for every church that opens its doors. There are different cultural expressions of how we do worship. Here's what the Bible mandates for all churches in all places in all times. Preach the word. Pray the word. Sing the word, read the word. And we try to make that a part of every Sunday that we gather together. So yes, we take a lot of time, as much time as we need to pray. That is the missing element in the church today that I think. It is the spiritual discipline that the church lacks. There is power in prayer. The problem is that We've put too much stock in our own strategies, our own plans, our own human wisdom, and God gets no glory in that. Oh, but when you pray, and you pray right, the old ladies used to say, God gets the glory because it is God who is at work. Now, all that to say, we're going to do a lot of reading this morning. We're going to do a lot of reading this morning. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 40. When we gather together, we're to preach the word, pray the word, sing the word, read the word. And so Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 40, we're going to read it all. Thank you. Thank you very much. There's power in the word of God. Here's the other thing. I want you to know that what I stand here and preach, you need to hold me accountable to preaching God's word. Not my opinions or anything else, but God's word. When I stand here and preach, this is just not because I like it or I do like it. Or <laughs> not because I think it's a good idea. Just because I need a job. It's because when I speak, and when I speak from God's word, God's word has final authority. God's word is authoritative. And when I am faithful to the scripture, you are hearing God speak. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 40. Let's stand in honor and reverence of God's holy word. Verse number 6 says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Who's they? Paul, Silas, Timothy. Now you're going to see a new pronoun used, we, 
So that means the author is involving himself. So Luke, Timothy, Silas, Luke, uh, who else did I say? Exactly. That's the main one. Verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go in Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by uh, Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, and a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Verse number 16. Now, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain, money, profit, by fortune-telling. And she followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, she got on his nerves. She turned to her and said to their spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hopes a prophet was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods, and when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Verse number 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the, whaler, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, 
he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for the light and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their hands. And he was baptized as one, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let, these, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent you, sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Mm-mm. You tell them they can come, and they can take us out. Because what they did in the public, unjustly, unjustly, they need to make it right publicly. Police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, I simply want to talk to you from this thought, the gospel, the cure for division. The gospel, the cure for division. A pious Jew Part of his devotion to God would rise early in the morning and would recite daily prayers, blessings, and thanksgivings to God on a daily basis. One of the blessings that the pious Jew would pray went like this. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Today, we're going to see the gospel transform a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. Let's walk around the text. Look first at the woman, verses 11 through number 15. As Paul's outreach strategy, he started with the Jews. He, he would go into a new space, and when he went into that new space, he would go and find the Jewish synagogue. He would go to that Jewish synagogue because he knew there was Jews there. He knew that there would be an opportunity for him to speak. And he wanted to proclaim to the Jews that your Messiah has come. The prophecy has now been fulfilled. 
and eternal life is now available through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He would spend some time with the Jews, and after the Jews would either accept or reject the message, he would move on then to the Gentiles. The missionaries, the text tells us that they, they, they come to this city called Philippi. Philippi was a, a wealthy city. It, it, was, it had a ton of gold and copper and silver deposits. It was a leading city in the region of Macedonia. We would know Macedonia now as Greece. And so what we're seeing now is that the gospel has gone to Jerusalem. It spread through Judea. It has gone to Samaria, and now the gospel is going to the uttermost parts of the earth according to the mandate given in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And so now we see the gospel going to Europe. And so they come to Philippi. And what the text says that they went on the Sabbath day and they found some women outside of the gate by the riverside. Now, why did you go looking for women? Now, some of y'all think Paul was single. That's how I know what he was doing. It was the custom that in order for a synagogue to be planted or established in a city, there had to be at least a quorum of 10 men. Without 10 men, there could be no synagogue. And so it may be that in Philippi, there had not yet been 10 men of Jewish descent who were willing to start a synagogue. So when the men won't lead, what, if, what happens? The women say, we're going to worship anyway. So it's the women, by the way, who start this first church in Philippi. If we ever start, if there's ever an all-woman church, I'm going to that one. And so now... They go to the riverside outside the city gate and they find some women. One of the women highlight, highlighted Lydia. And Luke, the author of the book of Acts, tells us that this woman Lydia, she was a seller of purple. And she was a worship of God. Now, as a seller of purple goods, that's going to tell us a little bit about Lydia. What you have to understand about purple is that there were two kinds of purple dye. The first kind was purple stuff used by the rich and the wealthy, which is why we associate purple with royalty. They would extract purple dye drop by drop by a certain, from a certain kind of shellfish. And then they would use this dye for their garments. We would say back then, we use today's language, we would say that though the, the rich, when they wore purple, they were on fleek. Now, once the elite have something, everybody else wants it. Only problem was that for everybody else, they couldn't afford it. So what do we do? We come up with a cheaper option. So there was a second kind of diet for the commoner. So the fact that this woman is a seller of purple goods meaning that she, means that she was well-to-do. Not only was she a seller of purple goods, she, she was an entrepreneur, a businesswoman, 
Not only that, but she was also, the text tells us, a worshiper of God. In other words, she had converted to Judaism. She was sympathetic to the Jewish faith. She had turned from paganistic worship of Greek gods. She worshiped the God of the Jews. She prayed to the God of the Jews, but she was not a Jew. That's her background. And so the text says that this woman who's well-to-do, who's a worshiper of God, hears the gospel message that's being proclaimed by Paul. Verse 14 says this, that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Notice, church, it was not her, of her own volition to make her heart sensitive to the gospel. It was not her choice to be sensitive to the gospel. It is the Lord that makes the initiative. It is God who has to open her eyes. Why does God have to open her eyes? Because, like all of us, before Christ, our eyes are closed to the gospel by nature. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Friends, by nature, we would rather rebel against our creator. By nature, we are hostile to the gospel. By nature, we do not seek after God. By nature, we prefer sin to holiness. By nature, we prefer unrighteousness to righteousness. It, so, so, so then, in all, the only way for us to seek after God, there's no such thing as seeker-sensitive, by the way. The only way for us to be sensitive to the gospel is for God to intervene. And so that's exactly what we see with Lydia. The Lord opens her blinded eye. And that's why all of us can say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I find was, yeah, yeah, that's amazing grace, church. But now I see, because it is not natural for us to be sensitive to God and to the gospel of God. God makes the initiative. It is God that does the work of salvation now. Though God does the work of salvation, God chooses to work through human agency. Rewind, press play. Though God, you like that, welcome to the bridge. Though it is God that does the work of salvation from beginning to end, God chooses to work through human agency. The question that often comes, for those of us who believe in election and predestination and all those other big words, the question that often comes is, well, why evangelize? If they're going to be saved anyways, why evangelize? Because God has decided to work through human agent. God uses men to save men. That's why he, the, the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Problem, though, how can they call in whom they have not believed. Bigger problem, how can they believe in whom they have not heard? Another problem, how can they hear without a messenger? And so what we see is God says, I'm going to send 
somebody to proclaim the message, and after they proclaim the message, you will hear it, and after hearing it, you will believe, and after believing, you will be saved. God does the work, but he works through human agency. He uses men to proclaim the good news to their fellow men. God does the work. Paul is just a vessel. Everyone here needs to hear and remember on a daily basis, God does the work. I'm just a vessel. You don't want your salvation to be, be dependent on any other man or yourself. I know me, and me ain't no good most of the time. I can be fickle. Stop it. So as an introvert, sometimes I just don't want to be bothered. I want to be in my space with a book and nobody else. And you don't want to be dependent on yourself because you know you. And I don't, I'm not going to even expound on that. But when it's focused on God, it has to happen. You are the vessel. God does the work. Why am I saying this? Friends, because there is no power in our words. Oftentimes, we don't share the gospel because we think we won't know the correct words to say. We don't know all the arguments. But this is what Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with superior eloquence or wisdom as I proclaim the testimony of God, for I decided to be concerned about nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear with much trembling. My conversation and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration, here it is, of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not be based on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Paul makes it clear that it's not about us when it comes to the gospel. It's not about our words. It's not about our intelligence. It's not our, about our persuasiveness. It's not about our human wisdom. It's all about the power of God. Paul will say something like this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it. What is it? The gospel is the power of God that leads to salvation. Friends, the gospel has enough power on itself. Whether you stutter, mess up the argument, the gospel is so effective that it can do its work all on its own. You just need to be faithful. So God makes the initiative as he always does. The Lord opens the eyes of this woman, Lydia. The text says, as a result, she is baptized. So we see that God calls her to himself. The gospel is proclaimed to her, so she believes the gospel. And as a result of believing the gospel, the first act of obedience is to be baptized. Friends, watch this. God graciously calls her to himself. Now, let me give you a definition. By the call of God, I'm referring to that divine work whereby God summons individuals to respond to the gospel affirmatively. 
through the proclamation of the word and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. One more time. By the call of God, I'm referring to the salvific call of God, where you become saved. I'm referring to that divine work whereby God summons individuals to respond to the gospel affirmatively through the proclamation of the word and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The story of Lydia shows us that the call of God is effective. In other words, it accomplishes what it sets out to do. This doctrine that I'm putting before you is known as the doctrine of effectual grace. In other words, let's just bottom line this thing. God's grace is so effective that it changes the disposition of our wills to desire to respond to Christ. God's grace is so effective that it changes hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. God's grace is so effective that we come to Christ because our hearts now desire to come to Christ. And we couldn't do it without God's amazing grace. So this woman, Lydia, she's now a new believer because of effectual grace that's proclaimed through the gospel. So we see a woman receiving the gospel. Not only do we see a woman in our text today receiving the gospel, but now we see a slave. Verses 16 through 18. Paul, text says again, he's heading to the place of prayer. And as he's heading to this place of prayer, he encounters a slave girl. The missionaries are headed to this place of prayer. They encounter this slave girl. She's a slave in two ways, church. She's enslaved by a demonic spirit which allows her to uh, be a fortune teller, and she's enslaved by human beings. She has masters, owners, and they are exploiting her for the purpose of money. So this woman follows the missionaries around, saying that they are servants of the Most High God who proclaims the way of salvation. This greatly annoyed Paul. It'd be a couple of reasons. Number one, Paul is well aware that Jesus doesn't need Satan's help. But it probably annoyed Paul also because what she was saying muddled, muddled the message. Watch this. When she proclaimed that they were servants of the most high God, that may have referred to Zeus. Because Zeus was also referred to as most high God. So as she's going around saying this, is she referring to Zeus or is she referring to Yahweh? Furthermore, in the original language, when it says that she says that the most high God who proclaims the way of salvation, the original reads this way. They proclaim a way of salvation. 
there is no definite article in the original, which means that she is proclaiming maybe that they are, work, they are servants of Zeus proclaiming a way, one way of many ways to be saved. Paul says, you're getting on my nerves. So he, he, he exercises this demon from her. He, 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 he does this by proclaiming that he, he commands the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. The spirit has to come out of this slave girl by the authority and the power of Jesus Christ himself. Again, we see Paul being the vessel, but God being the primary agent of the work. Because that spirit came out in the name of, yeah, yeah. Now, the text leaves us hanging. We have no idea if this slave girl actually became a follower of Christ. Some presume she did because her story is sandwiched between two other conversion stories. However, though we don't know for sure, we know that she, at most, she is a recipient of God's common grace. By common grace, I mean grace that God extends to all people, the just and the unjust. And it's because of God's common grace that all people are beneficiaries of God's blessings. Now, common grace is different from special grace. Common grace goes to everybody. Special grace is that grace that God extends to those that he has called to receive eternal life. Now, we don't know if she was a recipient of this special grace for sure, but we can tell that she is at least a recipient of God's common grace, because this woman is liberated from her enslavement. She's no longer enslaved by a demon. She's no longer enslaved by her masters. And how does this liberation come about? Through the ministry of the gospel. Here's my whole point. I use all that to say that the gospel is liberating. It has the power to set you free from the penalty of your sin. The gospel has the power to set you free from the guilt of your sin. The gospel has the power to set you free from the shame of your sin. And friends, who the Son sets free is free. Help me preach then. The gospel goes to a woman. The gospel goes to a slave. Now, in this last story, we're going to see the gospel go to a Gentile. Verses 19 through 40. Paul, he liberates the slave girl, and now the owners are furious. You want to make a dude mad, mess with his money. And that's exactly what they do. When this woman is liberated, the owners become furious because they had no further hope of gain, profit. They, they no, no longer could exploit this girl for economic gain. They cared more about their money than they did this, this slave girl's soul. Money had become their God. So then the owners have Paul and Silas brought before the rulers, and as a result, they are beat with rods and thrown into prison. And verse 25 says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were 
praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a jailhouse rock, an earthquake loosed the foundation because the foundations were shook. The doors were open. Everybody's bonds were, chains were loose. Y'all, this really is a place for you to start running around. Paul and Silas are in prison. Paul and Silas are suffering persecution, but they're still able to sing praises. Why? Because Paul and Silas teach us that if God is worth praising at any moment, he's worth praising in every moment. Why? Because God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And if he's worthy to be praised yesterday, he's worthy to be praised today. So I know you may not feel like it. Life may not be going the way you want it. But God is still worthy to be praised. The jailer, he wakes up. The doors are open. The bonds are off the, 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 the prisoners. And so he, in his mind, he thinks the prisoners have escaped. And what you have to realize is that the penalty for this jailer, for letting prisoners uh, escape, was likely crucifixion. So he says, rather than be tortured, I'll just kill myself now. But God, the text says, Paul cries out to the jailer, do yourself no harm. We're all here. Now, you know that had to be God because if I was in jail and the door swung open and my shackles are gone, deuce, I'm out. <laughs> and so his question, the jailer's question, to Paul and Silas is, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This jailer, he believed that what has happened was that they were experiencing the wrath of God because of the injustice experienced by Paul and Silas. And so his question is, what can I do to be delivered from God's wrath? Answer from heaven, believe the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Friends, the greatest issue that we all face is that because we are sinners by nature, we are all children of wrath. Because of our sin, we all deserve God's wrath. The question every person should be asking is what must I do to be saved from the wrath of God? How can I be rescued from eternal punishment that I justly deserved because of my sinfulness? The answer coming from heaven, believe on the Lord Jesus. You don't have to do anything because the work has already been done. There is no other way to escape God's wrath than to believe 
to trust, to place total confidence in Christ and nothing else. Total, complete reliance on Christ. Believe. What about to believe? You're supposed to believe who and what. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because if he's not the Son of God, then he's not God, and he is not the perfect sacrifice that's required to pay the penalty that we all deserve. Jesus can't just be a good man. He can't just be a prophet that did good things. He has to be the Son of God in order to be the perfect sacrifice that's required. You must believe that he is the Son of God, and you must believe in what he's done. What did he do? He took the penalty that you and I justly deserved by dying on the cross, nails in his hands, sword in his side, a crown of thorns on his head. He hung his head, and for me, he died. He died. Didn't he die? Stayed in the grave all night Friday night. Stayed in the grave all day Saturday. Stayed in the grave all night Saturday night. But that's not how the story is because bright early Sunday morning, our king rose from the dead with all power in his hands. And if you believe in him, the promise from heaven is you will be saved. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 Paul says, since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, there's power in the blood, church, how much more shall we be saved from wrath through Jesus Christ? Everybody's biggest issue in life is the wrath of God that we justly deserve. God has dealt with that. We don't, no one has to suffer God's wrath because he has dealt with that penalty in full. His wrath has been dealt with by Jesus Christ. He poured out his wrath on his own son so that you didn't have to experience it. And so on one hand, if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't delay because tomorrow is not promised. Do it right now. And on the other hand, if you have been saved, then you have a reason to rejoice this morning because you are saved. I, 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 I want to be a part of a church where people can shout and rejoice and praise and worship God, not because they got a new car, not because they got a new house, but just simply because they're saved. I just want to know if there's anybody in here that's happy this morning because you're saved. I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. That's the reason to wake up in the morning. I don't care what side of the bed you rolled over out, out of. But if you can put your foot on the floor, that's a reason to rejoice because I'm saved. I may not have the job that I want, may not make the money that I want, but I can still rejoice because I'm saved. Woo! I feel like preaching this morning. Now, the Jews said, I thank you, God, because you're not creating me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And Luke shows us that the gospel now comes to a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. Friends, the gospel has the power 
to bring down barriers and unite people from all walks of life. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to have my seat. Many of you may have wondered what I would say or if I would say anything about the events that happened in our country on last week. We prayed, but I didn't say much. Number of reasons. Number one, I had just finished writing my sermon, and I wasn't going to go back and rewrite it. I thought I'd just tell you the truth. Number two, I want to be very careful about being reactionary to everything that happens in the culture. I don't want the world setting the agenda for Christ church. One of the benefits of consecutive exposition, by consecutive exposition, I mean preaching through a book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, word by word, is you let God's word set the agenda for the preaching moment. And all I had to do was preach God's word, and through God's word, I'm able to deal with the issues in culture. The gospel Teach, the, the text today teaches us that it is the gospel that has the power to bring down barriers. Now, here's my official statement. Friends, in Christ, there is no distinction. The text says that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is no male and female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Friends, there is no place for the hatred of any people group as every person has been created in the image of God. And because we have been created in the image of God, every person, whether black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Jew, Gentile, whatever, has inherent dignity, worth, and value because they are created by God. Church, there is no place in the church for racism, sexism, classism, ageism, or any other ism in the body of Christ. Why? Because in Christ, we are one new man, one body, one church. Now, many people have made issue with the president not calling out white supremacy Nazi sympathizers by name. And I do believe that the president does have a responsibility to lead through times of division. But I will also say that the hope for our world is not in the president. It's not in Congress. It's not in the Supreme Court or any empty resolution that somebody will pass. Friends, the hope for this world is Jesus Christ. There's no other way to make Christ known in this world than for the church to rise up and to proclaim and protect the gospel. Our text today has made it very clear that the gospel is the cure for division. And as a result, we need communities of faith that have been transformed by the gospel. This is why I believe God has called us to plant and partner together in this endeavor of 
of developing fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. Our oneness, our unity, our shared life, our shared love for one another is a witness to a watching world of the power of the gospel. But we look different, talk different, vote different, think different. We love one another all the same because Christ first loved us. So church, this is no time to be discouraged or disheartened. This is no time to be complacent nor comfortable. This is no time to be apathetic. I believe that God is making his church uncomfortable so that we will be a prophetic voice in the wilderness of America to proclaim that we must own up to our national sins and repent of those sins. Only then can the wounds of our past begin to heal. God is raising up the church universal and this church in particular for such a time as this. Let us remain faithful to the gospel. Let's pray.